if you went to mental health, then you were likely going to be, you know, take your de-armed and um, then I can't be, then I can't do my job. And that means that somebody else is going to have to pick up the slack for me and they're going to talk about it. Right. You know, people are not going to be supportive of it. Welcome to the Stigma-Free Vet Zone podcast. Our mission is to help veterans and their family members transition from military to civilian life and culture. As best we can, we avoid stigmatizing names and terms. We feature conversations with those who have encountered unexpected reactions in their journey, including nightmares, rage, and isolation. Participants in our segments share experiences that make them uniquely qualified to join the quest to identify, understand, and resolve these enormous life challenges. Stigma-Free Vet Zone is brought to you by the Orban Foundation for Veterans. Learn more by visiting the OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org, and donations are always welcome at the OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org slash donate. Thank you for embarking on this educational journey with the Stigma-Free Vet Zone podcast. Here's today's segment. Welcome to another educational edition of the Stigma-Free Vet Zone. From our studio here overlooking the Milwaukee River in downtown West Bend, we are going to now travel over to La Crosse and welcome in our guest today, Ariana Cirincioni. And Ariana is an Air Force veteran. After growing up, she entered the military and on active duty from 2005 until 2018. Uh, Ariana began her, her um, career overseas and after deploying to Afghanistan in 2006, where she performed duties as a detainee operations cell guard, Ariana was also deployed to al Udid. Air Base Qatar, where she was a DBIDS operator, and Ariana is going to explain what that acronym means when we bring her on. Uh, after leaving the military, she returned to, uh, to La Crosse, where she is in graduate school in mental health counseling with a focus in working with individuals with addictions and is scheduled to graduate in December of 2021. Ariana aspires to continue working with veterans and military following graduation and also runs the Tactical Recovery Group, a recovery program for veterans and their family members. Ariana has been married to her husband, Dominic, since 2006, and they have one lovely son together named Harrison. So let's uh, fly out to La Crosse and go. Are we going to the top of the bluffs or the bottom of the bluffs to, to greet Ariana today? We're at the very bottom, definitely in the city. You're in the city of La Crosse. Well, welcome to Shore. Thank you so much for, for joining us, especially at this time. And let our guests know that this is a recording, our first recording, after the issues arising with uh, the withdrawal of American forces from Afghanistan, where you serve. So we're going to be engaging that topic as well on this, uh, on this podcast. But let's go back to, to the beginnings and tell us where Ariana is, where you grew up, a little bit about your childhood before entering the military. Sure. Well, thanks, Michael, for having me. I'm delighted to be here and excited to engage in this conversation. Um, so a little bit about me then. Yeah, I uh, grew up in La Crosse, Wisconsin, and uh, born and raised. I come from a very supportive family. 
uh, very loving parents. And um, I have three brothers and one older sister. Well, they're all older, uh, actually significantly older. So I, I pretty much grew up as an only child. I was given a lot of opportunities growing up, played in a lot of sports, a lot of extracurricular activities, uh, was always doing something, was very busy. My parents always uh, were preparing me to be able to fly off into the world on my own. I, I come from a military family. My dad's a retired Vietnam veteran. My grandparents, my grandfathers, both served in World War II. And I have family tracked all the way back to the Revolutionary War. So when I was growing up, we didn't discuss college. It was more of what branch of service are you going to join? And it wasn't, <laughs> and it, it wasn't a bad thing. It was a wonderful thing. It was just, that's just like in our blood. And I aspired maybe one day to go to school. Um, but the, the conversation was always like, okay, I know my dad's in the army. What options are there for me? And I think growing a lot, growing up, it was really focused on joining the army just because I didn't know very much. Um, while, while my dad is retired, he was, or excuse me, yeah, well, retired from the Army. He retired in 81 before I was even born. So I didn't grow up in a military environment, but it was a significant part of our life. I remember going to uh, Fort McCoy and, uh, you know, seeing the soldiers there and the way of life. And as I started to get older and into high school, then I was recognizing the impact that being military retired had on my family and the opportunities that it gave my family. We, you know, we didn't, I didn't grow up wealthy. I'd say we were middle-class, um, maybe lower middle-class. And so when I started to look at the different branches of the service, I, you know, I went to a Navy recruiter and I love all my Navy brothers and sisters, but like being out on a ship for that long was just like, I cannot do this. <laughs> Um, understandable <laughs> yeah so I went to the Air Force recruiter and you know I still remember his name and it was just a really good connection and I I decided that you know the Air Force was what I wanted to do I wasn't set on what job that I wanted to do at that point but I knew that I wanted I wanted the military lifestyle and I was eager to get started so let, let me ask you, Ariana, what year are we now where, where you're thinking about this and, and actually looking to ent actually enter the military? Well, I graduated in 2005. So, I mean, I, I started talking to recruiters probably my freshman and sophomore year, but they were very much like, OK, you know, we want you in the service, but they weren't too interested because I wasn't close enough to graduation. Mm -hmm. So that's, and my, unfortunately, my high school didn't have an ROTC program and I didn't have a lot of knowledge about what that even meant and different opportunities to become an officer versus enlisted. Um, I wouldn't change anything because my life has, you know, aligned in a way that I'm very fortunate and happy about. Um, but I, I, I think it would have been nice to know different options at that time, but I, but so I, satisfied I, with the way it was going and, and, and yeah. And I'm assuming you had some guidance from home, at least to carry on the conversation over dinner or something with your dad, with your mom. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, it was it was a it was a constant, you know, discussion about what I'd be doing. My mom was a nervous wreck. I'm very supportive <laughs> of it <laughs> because, like I said, they've been they've been encouraging me encouraging me since I can remember to be able to go out and explore and find it 
what it was that I wanted in life and enjoyed in life. And that's why they really encouraged me to participate in all these different extracurriculars and take advantage of any opportunity that came my way. Um, I know that they, they probably struggled financially for a lot of it, but they really did their best to give me everything, you know, anything that they could. Um, and then I think that goes back into being able to see what the benefit of being military retired um, offered my parents. And, and I, I was like, okay, this is good. You know, maybe I need this. Maybe I want this. What if, what if this is the best option for me? And, and then, so I, I grabbed it and I took it and, and I, I was, I was very physically active and the idea of going to basic training in this challenge was very exciting for me. I wasn't, I was nervous. I think anybody gets nervous about that, the idea of basic training, but I was very excited for the challenge. Well, well, let's, let's move up to that time where you actually do enter into the military. Um, (laughs) I have to admit or or state that I have not uh, run across a mother yet who wasn't nervous when their child actually entered into the military. I I think that is something that is just called this deep uh, love that a mother has for her child and and, uh, the concern. So now you've entered into the Air Force. Uh, What what year are we now when you're actually going into the service? September 2005. So roughly after I graduated June, you know, a couple months later when all of my friends were going off to college or starting work, I wanted to be doing the same thing and moving forward in my life. You know, I will say that, you know, I remember, so I was in high school, I was a freshman when September 11th happened. And I think that that's relevant to discuss based on everything that's going on in the world, plus reasons for joining. You know, yes, I wanted the opportunity. We come from a military, or I come from a military family. Um, But this idea of serving my country and being a part of something bigger than myself, especially during a wartime situation, I, you know, I was all for and and I wanted to be a part of that. Now, did I really understand what I was doing? Not really. I I I was I was naive. Uh, And I think when you you know, you highlighted mothers being worried. I didn't have a job. Uh, until shortly before I left. And my recruiter called me and said, okay, we got you a date for when you want to leave and you're going to be a security forces member. And, you know, he showed me some videos and I was like, okay, this looks cool. I'm going to be, <laughs> this is kind of hardcore. It's fun. Um, but, you know, the idea of what did that really mean? What does security forces really mean? You're like the infantry of the Air Force. And I still, I didn't really understand that. And my mom did. And she, you know, that's why I think she got extra panicked by it. It's not like, oh, you're going to the safe branch, joining the Air Force. Like I was going to be one of the ground grunts, if you will. And um, so I didn't understand that. But yes, I joined in September 2005. Uh, basic training was, was I, you know, I actually loved it. I, um, of course, nobody likes to be forced to push. And I had a wonderful home life. So I did experience homesickness. I was very fortunate for that. Um, but I, I excelled. I, I forced myself to the front so I could be an element leader. <laughs> I had no marching experience, but I wanted to take on that leadership role right away. And I wanted my parents to be able to see me while um, marching when they came to visit my graduation. So I had a lot of pride and I still do. Um, but I, I just remember those moments that they're, when I'm talking about this, I just knew I just wanted I wanted my parents to be proud of me. Um, and I think that that's been a motiva- motivating factor for a lot of my life and the decisions that I've made um, to make them proud, but also, you know, be an example for others. Sure. So let, let, let me stop you there for um, just for a moment, Ariana. And let's go back because I think you make a very, very important part, even though it, it, it may not be apparent. You gloss over it. You said you were naive when you went in and you, 
you entered into the military. The war had already started uh, about three years earlier. Uh, we were already in Iraq. Uh, but you were you say you were naive. But is it, could we say it wasn't necessarily naive, but, the, but a powerful influence was just patriotism and honor? You know that the, the America was at war. You know there were soldiers there. You come from a military background. You entered because of patriotism, because of what was going on, and because, of course, that you had been planning this all along. And I think many of us may have been in that situation when we, when we entered the military. In retrospect, we find out what we were really getting into, but at the origin, originally going into the military, I think we were all pretty much naive. Uh, but we, uh, we, and, and you follow it up beautifully by saying you're going off to basic training, you were competitive, you wanted to be among the best, you were competing against your... Uh, your fellow uh, soldiers. So I think this is a, a wonderful way to open up how many of us went into the military. So, so now you have, let, let's say that you've completed basic training. Uh, mm-hmm. And where are you taking basic training at the time? Lachlan Air Force Base. Lachlan Air Definitely. Force Base. Yeah. And where are they taking you after basic training? Well, we go to AIT, Advanced Individual Training, like the other services. And uh, the Security Forces School is there directly on Lachlan. So I took a bus ride. About three minutes down the road. <laughs> On the same base. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Right. And, and then um, did some, I did basic, or excuse me, I did my security forces training, got my beret. And then um, uh, I originally was slotted to have orders to Barksdale, Louisiana. And oh, this, is, this is so funny how these conversations bring things up. Um, I... I knew that I wanted to see the world. That was part of this, right? Like, let's experience everything I can get out of this. And I, I remember that I had another airman who, who wanted to stay stateside, and he had orders to Spangdalem, Germany. And I called my recruiter and I said, "I need guidance. Like, I know that this is this is going to mean I'm going to be very far away from home." And like I said, you know, that was probably the most difficult part for me during basic was missing home. And he said, "Ariana, why'd you join the service?" And I said. <laughs> Well, especially the, the Air Force. <laughs> yeah. So, so I I was very fortunate. Again, it just aligned, and we were able to swap orders. And then I was off to Spingdown, Germany, um, in February then of two thousand and six. Wow, fascinating. What? What? Again, let's stop for a moment and go back because you mentioned when you're in basic training, and I'm assuming advanced individual training. You talk about being competitive, wanting to be best in your class, wanting to be at leadership. <laughs> These are all the competitions you're having that you believe are making you a good soldier, which they are. But they're competitions against the other people who are there. So you are now still in the realm of not going over to a foreign country or foreign culture. And tell us when you go over to Germany, how does this start to appear for you? Um, as far as my... Well, as, as far as leaving the United uh-huh. States, you're leaving home uh, and you're going to a foreign country. You're going to Germany. You're not deployed mm-hmm. to Afghanistan yet, but you're still, you're going outside of the United States for the first time. Is that, mm-hmm. do you notice any change in retrospect of your mental thinking at the time of how this is all evolving as a soldier? I mean, you have to grow up really fast and being away from home. I mean, so now I'm, so now I'm 19 and <laughs> living on my own in a foreign country. Um, you know, the air force has it good and <laughs> we were in dorms. So I had my own room. I had a, I had a roommate, um, but there was a lot of independence and responsibility. And, you know, I still had somebody telling me what to do and when to do it, you know, because I was an airman, but 
I was, you know, there's a lot of responsibility and um, just so much growth in discovering who I was because I, I didn't have any of the same people that I grew up around, you know, and watching how what decisions they were making. Like this was me. This was I was choosing my path and I was I, I was I still had that competitive drive. Um, so I was always making sure my uniform was just perfect and that I, that I had as much knowledge as I could and testing well. And I remember that that actually, you know, while I had peers that were that same way, um, I remember being kind of like an outcast uh, when I would be posted and we would be allowed to study materials that were relevant to work. You know, I'd be the one sitting inside the vehicle, studying away, head down in my books. Well, you know, the rest of the, the peers who are met up on that post are out having a smoke break and talking. I remember I was very focused on betterment and excelling. And to be honest, Michael, <laughs> at that point, I wasn't really enjoying security forces. Okay. I, I, I didn't have the desire to do air-based defense, um, guard planes, sit in a vehicle for 12 plus hours or drive around and pull people over and write tickets <laughs> <laughs> not my thing okay an honest answer no that's yeah great. you know and and i i recognized that and i knew that by putting my head in the books and by learning as much as i could and excelling that my leadership was going to see that and that that was going to create opportunities for me and and it did it really did it opened a lot of doors and i kept that mentality you know fast forwarding through all of my career if, if, if I can, you know, I, I, I kept that mentality and I still have that till today. And I really think that that was part of this learning process and developing who it is that I am, because I wasn't that way in, in high school. I got I got grades. I was an A and B student, but I never was striving for this this level of like I, I wasn't striving for perfection, but I was definitely trying to like be really, really good at everything that I was doing. And let so, me ask it this way. And, and it's, you're explaining this very, very beautifully. There is that time, and a lot of us have experienced this, where we are doing things to uh, appease our parents or please our parents, please our school, our teachers, and all of that sort of thing. But now when you cross over, this is why you asked about actually leaving the country. Now you're crossing over. You're not necessarily doing these things to please your mom, and she's not there to speak with you. Your dad's not there to speak with you. So you're really, are, are you experiencing this whole sense of self a little bit more? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'm recognizing that, you know, while I, I still I know that I'm making my parents proud and don't get me wrong, Mike, I'm, I'm looking forward to the phone call to be like, I got 100 on this test. Sure. And, you know, I did really well. But I also am like, wow, I'm I'm for the first time really feeling like I don't want to say center of attention, but I'm like, wow, look at what if I do really well, look at how many opportunities this creates for me. Like, I, for the first time, I'm understanding really, really what like hard work and dedication and perseverance and what it means to be resilient. And through all of this, like diff all of these difficulties, I'm experiencing it and noticing that I I'm really glad you brought this up that like the importance of that the yourself your self-acceptance, unconditional positive regard for yourself, like having that strength is so important because when it comes down to it at the end of the day, like I have to tell myself to get up. I have to tell myself to keep moving forward. And that has, that's what I really started 
to get that sense of self and and how to motivate myself intrinsically and and the power that it has and that I've, I've, I'm still using to today and I, I, I'm an advocate for it. It's so important. I, I, would, I would agree with you 100%. I, I think the other way of looking at it, uh, when I was a young boy, my mother, were, we had 10 kids in the family. My mother would just come to the bottom of the stairs and yell for everybody to get up and come down for breakfast. Once you go to the military, your mom's not there to yell for you to get out of bed. Yeah. And make your, so, you know, make no. your bed and come down for breakfast. You have to start carrying your responsibilities. So th- th- and this is really wonderful. So now you have uh, you're you're in Germany and take us uh, take us forward to where you are actually deployed to Afghanistan. Uh, okay. I mean, right now you are not really enjoying the security force of guarding planes, as you said, and you know giving out tickets, which is certainly understandable. Uh, are, yeah. are you are you aware that the war is going on? And are you oh, yeah. are you yeah. curious if you're going to go, or is there a desire to step up to go, or how is that playing up where you know that it's out there? Oh, well, there's no doubt. I mean, even before we, uh, well, in basic training, you know, from, from as early as that, they're talking about, you're going to get to your base and you're going to deploy. Like, we just know that it's going to happen. So when I'm at my first base and I'm going through my in-processing and training, it's all talk about deployment. Like, we're getting you ready for home station, but also be prepared that you're going to deploy. So I got to my first station, like I said, at the end of February. I was slotted within a couple months already on the list to go to Afghanistan. I remember being at Fort Bliss, Texas uh, for Thanksgiving and then being uh, for training, you know, to um, learn how to do detainee operations. And then um, I remember having snowball fights in Afghanistan. So (laughs) so it it all happened very quickly. We knew it was going to happen again. It was like focusing on exactly what I needed to know. And, and focusing on that as opposed to what actual chaos was happening and like what that really meant, because I think that would have probably been terrifying, honestly, oh, to, to have a different perspective on it. it was like, no, I'm going to do this mission. I'm going to. And this is the reason why. And, and staying focused on that as opposed to all the extra chaos. So can we take you up to that time where you're you're leaving Germany and you're actually being deployed to Afghanistan? Sure. So we arrive in country to Afghanistan. Uh, I remember, wow, those bags were heavy. We had so much gear and we had to carry it. And we were assigned uh, bee huts. Um, so like it was a, a little cabin type thing, I guess, um, for people that don't know what a bee hut is. And we've, I think we had about eight women in in our in our hut uh we had little rooms at one point uh, i built a door uh for my my room and uh i don't know my little sanctuary my little space i think that's important because you know you're away from home you have to have something that gives you comfort so i had that and then we did some more training uh inside the facility now i can tell you walking into that facility for the first time was i don't know that i have the words for it um we had to remove our name tags before we went in, you know, going through the process, um, going through Sally ports, making sure you didn't have any identification or any items on you that could be used as weapons, going in and walking through for the first time and seeing the men staring back at me. It was just, uh, I don't surreal. It's really hard to describe, you know, here I am a woman in uniform and you can just, just based on the way that 
they were looking at me. You could tell it was just, I don't know. They were kind of like in awe, but also disgusted at the same time. I don't know. Um, but so their stairs, that was, I, I remember that walking around and the smell, something you'll never forget. Um, seeing, seeing, you know, there was, there were quite a few men put in these cages and these cages looked like they were uh, storage containers, like big storage units, not meant to keep people, keep people in is what it looked like but there were quite a few of them walked around I remember doing um, going to guard mount for the first time there and doing some exercises on cell extraction and uh, cleaning cells and what that looked like Um, would you like me to go into more detail about different things that I did there or let's go back just a little bit because you you mentioned you went you went into sally port is that what you were calling it yeah, you know, there's like a little area. You're locked in to this this like a holding area to make sure that well, I'm losing my words to explain this. No, I, I think uh, I it, think I can help you a little bit because I, I, I remember, forgot when we when we introduced you, you gave us uh, the acronym uh, DEIDS, I believe it was operator. But what what we're talking about is really you're talking about prisoners. You're you're talking about a containment area for prisoners. Right. Am yes, I, yes, I am. Yeah. So now, uh, because I, I, I thought I was getting a picture that you were talking about other American soldiers, but now you're going into this area. That's why you're taking your name off. That's why you're taking off yeah. all of your things. So you're getting prepared to actually begin work in the prison as a pr- prison guard. Is that would that be a yes. fair term? Uh, so, yeah. Well, my goodness. So now you've changed. And and I'd, I guess I would like to ask, not guess, but I would like to ask you a question. At what point, or is there a point, now you mentioned you're all of a sudden, now you're seeing a foreign culture. Now you're seeing a foreign language. Now you're not on base in Texas or back in the United States uh, in competition against your fellow soldiers. Now all of a sudden you've crossed that veil where you're in a different culture. You're with mm-hmm. different people. There's different religions, different smells, different foods, all of these. Is, is there a time when you actually recognize Okay, I've gone from going back to what you said when you were in high school and entering the military and entering basic training where you, you were naive. Is that naivety getting a jolt right now? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's, I and think that's, that's kind a of jolt a... you're talking about when you don't know yeah. how, how to describe how these guys are looking back at you. You don't yeah. know who they are, what they've done, what they're capable of. You know nothing like this. But now you're also in a position where, you're, where your life could be in danger, I'm assuming. Yes. And the lives of many people. My, we were working with the Army, and so there, I have a lot of brothers and sisters around me that I am accountable for. And I think that's probably when my anxiety starts because that's a lot of stress. It was very stressful, um, that environment and making sure that everything was done to 100% standard. Like there's no gray area. You do exactly what you need to do. And that jolt, yes, that feeling of responsibility and I, there's nothing that you can't, I don't know what you would compare it to, but that jolt is, that's a good word. Like, wow, this is, this is a big deal. 
Like yeah. I'm a grown up now. <laughs> well, I, I think I use that word because almost all of us who have gone into a war zone, combat zone, going on out of the country, foreign cultures, there is, and you describe it very well. It, it, that, that naivety when you join the military and you're you're competing against your fellow soldiers in in the push-ups and through the mud and all the exercise routines and you want to be among the best and all that. But then all of a sudden, when you start going through to this de, to the deployments. There's that. There's like this veil that you cross over emotionally from that naive po- place to now all of a sudden, hey, this is the real McCoy. This is the real stuff. Yes. And now you're thinking, you know, okay, that was a lot of fun on the gun range back in training, but this is where the real thing can happen. I can't turn my back. I've got to be aware. Some of us would call it survival instinct, but you're calling it yes. anxiety. All of these things are very good descriptions of that transition you're making. But are you prepared for that transition to deal with those reactions, like the anxiety? I think, I believe that I was. I I was, I didn't know. And I think a lot of it comes back to resiliency and like that internal motivation and, and like dedication to doing exactly what I needed to do. Um, so while I was in the moment, I felt very prepared. I felt very capable. I was very confident in what I was doing. Um, and I knew and I was supported that if there was something I didn't know and I didn't understand as a young airman, that I had supervisors, both Army and Air Force, to be able to call and ask for that guidance when needed. So I think it was just like, okay, here we go. Like, this is it. Let's do it. You know, let's let's do this. And so I did it. I did it. There were now there were definitely difficult days uh, that I wasn't I was like not prepared for. Um, I'd like to share one of those specific times. Uh, There were two different there were two different buildings, two different detainment facilities. And one housed the the more serious offenders, if you will, the really bad guys, definitely known links to Al Qaeda. Taliban. And it was a a very high stress environment when working in that area. And now this is what I, when I come down to like, I think this is, you know, the beginning of anxiety is we had to count the, the cutlery, the forks um, or spoons being distributed into the cells because however many went in, that's how many had to come back out. Same with food trays. And this is something so minimal, but the way that they would play with your head, the, the detainees, is like I, like I said, up to this point, I am like, I'm doing everything by the book. I'm counting. I'm recounting. And so I remember one incident where I, you know, had, gave them their food, gave them everything they needed, and they, they told me that they were missing one. And this is something so minor. They were telling me that they were missing something. And I was like, no, no, you weren't. You, you were, I gave you everything that you needed. And they were adamant to the point where they wanted to speak to my supervision. And my supervision at the time didn't want to cause a riot. He didn't want to do anything, you know, but I was like, I know, I know that I counted that. But now, right, it's kind of like that gaslighting. I'm being told one thing and trying to convince myself. So now the the, the wheels are spinning in my head and um, they ended up getting, you know, another set. And as soon as the supervisor walked away, they, um, while I was watching, they opened up like a blanket and showed me that, look, yeah, we were messing with you. We were doing that on purpose to you, to mess with you and, and getting away with it. 
And so that was like, I think probably where I, where I started this triple check, quadruple check of different things. And now that's, I know it seems minimal, but that's hard. They're playing mind games on you constantly. You're always on guard. And, you know, there were some instances where things like that led to riots and me walking around in a gas mask, trying to take accountability of detainees while everybody's got pepper spray uh, all over their faces. And um, let, let me, let me ask you this, Ariana, there is an element of keeping a spoon or a knife where, uh, or, or fork that can be turned into a deadly weapon. If they yes. had asked you, if they could ask you for, uh, you know, you didn't give me a napkin. Well, here's another, here's a pile of napkins. Exactly. That's no big deal. But you're right. talking about things, not because they had a spoon. It's what can the spoon become? What are they yes. going to do with it? So, so it's yes. really there. I, I can imagine the, the high level of what all things that we give them beyond just silverware, can they turn into weapons that could kill me or damage me or do something? Yes. Yes. So I, just, I, I think the anxiety is, is certainly uh, uh, certainly warranted as long as you are able to keep up with it and it doesn't overwhelm you and you're able to continue doing your job. And it sounds like you were able to do that. I was. There was a time like during right after that it happened. You know, I was overwhelmed. You know, I was overwhelmed and I was OK with asking for help. And so on that particular day, I asked to be removed from that situation because I knew that then there was a lack of. I don't want to say respect because they didn't respect me at all, but there was a lack of just going along with whatever I would tell them to do that they needed to do. So I asked to be removed from that for my own mental health uh, for that day, um, which I think is important. Um, well, that I did that reflecting on it. I'm glad I'm like, Hey, I'm glad I had the strength to say, Hey, I need help right now. I, I don't want to be in this environment and that I had support to do that. So you're learning a lot of lessons that as a prison guard, as someone in the military, you're not in the United States, you're not near your parents, you're coming up against all of these uh, new learning things that are outside of the book, outside of uh, training camps, all of that. So this is real life experience that you have got to absorb as a soldier. These are your responsibilities. These are your duties. This is your honor, your patriotism that has to keep up with it. You're able to, to deal with it successfully but you're understanding now that this is really a challenge. Yes. And how do you deal with that challenge up until the point that you just you're ready to go home? Wow, I think uh, I think a lot of us work out. I was go I was up on a very specific routine schedule, and I was up running every morning and finding that time and um, eating well and staying connected. Making making friends was important, and knowing that there were other people going through that. And finding time to talk about it was helpful. Say that one more time, because I think that's so important. You found other people that you're able to talk to about this, to share the experience. And how important was that for you at the time? Incredibly important. Incredibly. I, you can't even quantify it. it. I mean, what you're going through, what you're experiencing is not normal. Okay. Like this is not normal for me to be in what a therapist uh, would later tell me is an emotionally abusive relationship every single day that I go to work. I'm being degraded and spit at and other things, feces, feces thrown at me. I, I mean, it was terrible. So to not talk about that, to not talk about how abnormal this is and how much we looked forward to going back to an environment where we weren't being degraded on a daily basis or manipulated, um, just it we needed to talk about that and it's important and you know and 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 any anything you're going through in life i think being able to have somebody to talk to 
and process is very important. So let me ask you this. While you're going through this, you're now a prison guard and you're having feces thrown at you and urine and spit on and all these other things. Are you keeping contact with your parents at home? And are you able to tell them about what you're doing or is this not uh, something you want your mom to, to hear? So this is 2006. Uh, we did have internet. Um, not many people had phones. That wasn't a thing. But we were able to go, I can't, I think it was like the USO that they had on base. They had uh, landlines where we could call home. Now I, I was in, I was engaged at the time. So I was fortunate that I had somebody that I I could talk to um, aside from my parents and from friends that I could be more vulnerable with. I never expressed exactly what I was doing. I didn't want anyone to feel like I didn't want anybody to take that on for, for me because I knew I had people that were in the present. Um, and I wasn't speaking to a therapist at this, this time um, by any means, no counselor or anything like that. This was just peer to peer. But also, yes, I did have my fiance, who's now my husband, um, that I could call and, and speak to. Funny, I'm going to share one thing. I remember one time we were trying to do like a webcam visit when I was back in my little bee hut. And I had headphones on and, and I'm, I'm trying to talk to my fiance. You know, the connection, not great. And I remember hearing something outside my my door and it sounded like people were running or banging. So I I I take my headphones off. I'm like, okay, you know, hon, hold on a second. And I look out and I'm like, I see people running around in, in, in their helmets, they've got their Kevlar on, you know, their vests, and I'm like, what is going on? And they're saying, Oh, we're being attacked, we're being attacked. And I'm like, Well, was anybody gonna tell me? Because I had my headphones on, I didn't know. <laughs> like, you guys are just gonna leave me in here. <laughs> So, you know, I remember like throwing on my helmet and I'm on webcam still, you know, with a terrible connection. And I'm like, I got to go. <laughs> like, you know, I got to go, but I love you and I'll talk to you soon, you know. And so sorry, you know, sorry to my husband. Then like, how stressful is that? I'm glad that was him though and not my parents. <laughs> I'm not um, laughing at you. I'm just, that, that is the paradox of all of this stuff. It, it's, it, it's either laugh at it or it's just too insane to believe, you know. Yeah. yeah like, we're being attacked. Again, Couldn't somebody tell me about that? <laughs> yeah, like this is not normal, right? This is not normal. So I, I'm like, so, you know, his face though, I just, I can still see it like this just extreme panic worry. And I'm like, okay, love you. Now the funny thing, funny thing, right? Again, you go into, you got to use humor or something you to do. get through this. Is that I'm actually, I'm actually kind of laughing. I remember laughing and being like, oh my gosh, I'm in my pajamas. I'm like, what's happening? I got to find my vest. I got to get out here. Where's my weapon? And then they had us first at that point, just initially going in and taking cover and, you know, I remember being in there with another female soldier from my B-Hut and we were like, I don't know, we were laughing. The stress, the, I mean, we didn't know how to handle this emotionally. We didn't really, like, we were just like, it's like your body just does what it has to do to cope. And for us, it was laughing at the situation and being like, okay, we're just waiting to just, what you know, wait until this is this bombing or, you know, the whatever is happening is over and waiting for our next orders because that's what we were told to do again, you know? So then there's this like, okay, I'm an airman. I have to respond. I have to do this. And then later, you know, talking about it and processing that you know, obviously this isn't a funny situation, but that was what our bodies did to cope as we, we thought, you know, we'll laugh and just be like, I can't believe this is happening. And um, then we responded later to the detainment facility to, 
ensure accountability if the base were to be overrun, which it was not. You know, this was, I think it was air missiles or something at the time. But, you know, then this kind of became the normal response is, okay, now there's a, we just felt, uh, you know, a bomb go off or something. And now it's just normal. Oh, it's not that close. Like I'm trying to sleep. I'm just going to go to sleep unless somebody tells me what to do. And that again, not normal, but that's well, it, what it, 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 maybe it's not normal Ariana, but it is becoming a soldier in a war zone. Like, it, yes. like you say, you yes. get used to it. Okay, well, that's not close enough. I'll just go to sleep. You know? <laughs> so, as soon as, yes. uh, and, and I think that's where you become the soldier. You become the soldier because you start to identify that way. Well, I can hear the rockets go over, but uh, it's pretty far off, so it's not endangering me right now. So, so now you have come through all of this, and I would like to stay in Afghan, but we want to get back home uh, so we can get back to Afghanistan and what's happening today. So now you are ready to leave Afghanistan, and are you excited to leave, not, not because of any other reason than it's been a stressful uh, experience for you? I'm ready to go. Yeah, ready Let's to go. get out of here. Let's, you know, it's like yeah. I've done my time. I'm ready. Let's yeah. go. You know, and I had a lot waiting for me. Like I said, I had a fiance. I had been planning a wedding while I was in Afghanistan. Wow. So I, so in my free time, I was, you know, very focused and, and having fun um, planning that. <laughs> oh, so yeah, I was excited to so leave. You're excited, I was excited to go home. You're planning yeah. your wedding while yeah. you're, while you're taking the forks and spoons away from prisoners. Yep. Uh, you've got all of this stuff going on in your head. You're happy to leave. You get home. Your expectations when you get home are, uh, uh, tell us what those are. Before you leave, before you actually leave Afghanistan, you're expecting, what are you expecting when you get home? Well, I'm, well, for, you know, I'm going back to Germany. So I'm expecting that I'm going to reunite with my fiance. Everything's going to go back to normal. I'm going to just continue being, you know, just going to go back to my normal life, my job plan. And then, like I said, I was expecting to just go and get married and everything would go, go smoothly. And so you get home and what was actually there? I would say that it was it was like that. What I wasn't expecting was that I was going to the emotions that I was going to feel and the detachment that I was going to feel. And I I was pretty numb. And I know that initially, you know, I, I was struggling to communicate with my fiance, my husband. Uh, I was having a difficult time verbalizing things I know that I had changed I know that because I could I knew it I felt it I saw it but also you know my husband recognized that there were changes and that I did a lot of a lot of growing up like that's a a lot to put on one person in about a nine month period and so I I wasn't I wasn't I was not prepared for that. I did not expect that because I was, I, I was like, let's do this. Let's get this mission done. Let's focus on this. But I, you know, I didn't think that there was anything wrong, if you will. I didn't know that there, you know, so I was, I didn't, I didn't expect that. So, so would it be fair to say that when you left and I'm not leading you on here, did you expect life to be pretty much as it had been before uh, emotionally and physically friends, home games, interest, all that sort of thing? Yes. Yeah. And when you mention numbing, are we talking about, and I want to be careful how I ask this, but intimately uh, isolated. I'm not talking physically, but emotionally, not letting people close to you, not being, were you, did you understand how to explain where you had been, what you had experienced, or was it, 
something you just didn't want to talk about or weren't sure how to talk about, but did you experience that as, and I don't want to pick on your husband, but not letting him close enough emotionally to really uh, share the experience you had while you were in Afghanistan? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's all of those things that you said. And it was like not wanting to take the time to talk about it, not taking like, you know, if I, I just, I don't want to talk about it. Like I didn't, I didn't want to allow that vulnerability to be there. I was very short, very impatient. And I, I struggle with patience to this day. And I know that, you know, I wasn't like that before that deployment. And it's been a lot of years, 2006, 2007. So I, I didn't, I could, I couldn't put the words to it. It almost felt like it was a dream. Like, did I really just go through all of that? Did I really just experience that? And, and I didn't have the proper tools to reflect on my feelings and be able to reframe what had I had experienced. And at that time, we went through a very minimal reintegration, if you will, on how to transition from deployment mentality to home station mentality. Very minimal. And it was a, it was absolutely, which is very sad to say, it was more of just check the box. And our focus, when you come back and you've been away from those that you love for that long, the last thing you want to do is sit in a, uh, I mean, I can't remember a few days, a week, a week, you know, long briefing of this is how you do this. This is how you transition because you just want you just want to go back to that you normal. Go home. <laughs> yeah. So, well, I, and I maybe we could add to that. No matter what they ask you, are you okay? Yes, I'm fine. Are you having any problems? Sleep? I'm fine. No. I'm <laughs> are you angry? Let no, I'm go. fine. <laughs> right. Yeah, but, you are. You're like I'm. I'm better than before the disappointment. You know, <laughs> just let me go. I never heard that one. I'm better than I was before. Yeah. yeah. Because it's true. You want. Yeah, you you want that normalcy. Yeah. You want that. You want to be with. Yes, you're like I lived through this. I. Like, let me just be with my family. Yeah, let me go home so I can get, get back to where I want to be, but then get back and not know uh, how to be there when you get there. But how, how yeah. was your sleep when you first got home? Not good. I have, I'm not good. Just, uh, I, I, oh my gosh, I could sleep anywhere before. I could <laughs> sleep in any position. I, I mean, I could fall asleep in, for five minutes on a little car ride, but now... I still, you know, I still haven't mastered the, the, the sleep. The sleep was not good. It's gotten better and I'm using techniques and I have been for years on how to get better sleep. So let, let's, let's go to the next step, Ariana, if, you, if you're okay mm -hmm. with this. So now you're having these reactions, the emotional numbing, uh, the difficulty, the shortness of uh, emotion, uh, patience, whatever, the difficulty with sleep and whatever other reactions you were having. Did you actually have any plan to ask for help or education to find out what to do about these reactions? And if you did, were there any issues that you felt you shouldn't really go with this? You were a soldier. You were supposed to absorb these. You're not supposed to have weaknesses. But what did you do in, in response to the reactions you were having? What did I do? Well, I first I was just kind of monitoring my peers probably and seeing how they were reacting, what they were experiencing, relating to them and, and still using them as an outlet to talk about things. It was not normal or accepted. I know I shouldn't use that normal word because what is normal, but it wasn't very accepted to seek mental health. As a cop, 
you know, and I think that that that's still a thing today is like, you know, you're, you're one of the heroes. You're one of the strong ones. You need to make sure that you're, you're just leading the way. And, and, and while that no vulnerabilities, yeah, right. No, no weakness. So, and then, and another thing, it wasn't supported in the sense, like if you went to mental health, then you were likely going to be, you know, take your de-armed and um, then I can't be, then I can't do my job. And that means that somebody else is going to have to pick up the slack for me and they're going to talk about it. Right. You know, people are not going to be supportive of it. And now this was 2007. Um, I did see a change in that over the years, but when I was in 2007, I was not supported. It was not openly discussed, talked about, like I said, it was a minimal reintegration period. And then that was all she wrote. Now I do remember going and speaking to somebody, I think one time while I was still at Spring Dolan before we had moved station to Lake and Heath. But, um, it wasn't until a little while later when I had moved bases and different position that I started to ask for help and, um, was in a position where I, I, I had the opportunities to do that. And I knew that, and, and, but I still had this feeling of it wasn't as accepted uh, because of, I knew somebody else would may have to pick up the slack or whatever the case may be. Could we say, at least from my own experience, that you were fighting off any desire to show the world that you had failed your responsibilities as a soldier or something like that? I didn't feel like a failure. I felt that, if I were to focus on myself, then then I'm not putting the Air Force's core value of service before self, like the idea of these core values and and like putting the mission first and taking the time for me. I I thought it would be frowned upon, and I and and so I didn't want somebody else at that point. Like you know, it was more of like a failure, a future failure. Like I don't want I don't want to be put into a position where I'm going to look like a failure. Not that I had failed. Let me ask it this way then, because I, I know what you're trying, what you're explaining, but when we say we're having that struggle and we're not going for help, there's, uh, how, how, how could we say this best? It's not that you're a failure. No. It's just there are so many things that you're vulnerable to. That you, mm-hmm. you may not increase in rank. You may you 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 may yeah. you may be uh, embarrassed in front of the the rest of the world or whatever it might be. But if we were to look back on it, maybe I can ask it this way: If you were to look back on the actual experience in Afghanistan, could you have done that job without having the reactions that you had? No. No. See that that's what always gets me is people are they. they apprehensive about the reactions they have. But if you go back and, and, and understand or review the actual life experience, how would you actually go through that experience and not have these reactions? That's what's really stunning to me. Yeah. It, there's no, there's no way. Yeah, absolutely not. So now you are home. You're, you're, you are seeking help for these, these reactions you're having. And where are you today with all of this? And what are you doing? Obviously, you're, you're married to your husband, you have a child. Yeah. Where are yeah. you today in your transition? I, uh, I'm doing wonderfully. I'm very fortunate. Um, I took time to to process everything. I, like I had mentioned, I went through and I, I sought help and um, went to mental health and realize that therapy is amazing. Like you're going to give me an entire hour just to talk about myself and like help me process what I'm thinking and feeling and 
this is all like, I just, I was like, wow, this is really great. Uh, that experience, I, I loved it. So I took advantage of it. And um, I recognized the importance of accepting, you know, accepting change and um, reaching out for resources that were available. And, you know, what that led through be, being an instructor at mili uh, military police investigation school and helping people and seeing that there are so many things that this experience helps me with teaching other people and guiding other people, which led me to wanting to work and become a therapist myself. You know, there was a time, Michael, I said, I would never become a therapist because I have too many problems of my own. But look, here we are. <laughs> there was also a time that I, when I met my husband, I said, I would never marry a man like that. And now we are like 15 years later. So, <laughs> well, <laughs> funny so if we say you've gotten to this point in your, your transition, you've gone through and asked for help and gotten an education. And of course, on, on, on our thinking, it, this is more educational than it is mental health issues. You, you have reactions that you're not familiar with nor expecting, so you need answers. Well, you know, that's the truth in anything. Uh, it's educational to go and get answers for things that you're not understanding. But let me ask you this, Ariana. Thinking back on it now and for our listeners, would you recommend going earlier or sooner to get those answers oh, on without a question? Yes. You know, and, and, and I think, I think we are loads ahead of where I was at in 2007, as far as seeking help and, and being validated and just listen, listen to and encouraged to talk about things. I, I feel like we've come a long way. I think we still have a ways to go. Don't get me wrong, but um, people, soldiers, airmen, you know, sailors, whatever, Marines, we need to come forward. We need it. We need to recognize that when we're out performing the duties in a deployment, the stress levels and all of the emotions are so much higher and transitioning back to normal civilian or life or, um, you know, home station, you're like, your body's like, where's the adrenaline at? And, you're, it's normal for your body to be like, what's going on? Your mind to be like, what's going on? And that there are answers to that. And there are coping mechanisms. And there is, like you said, education to help with that transition. And ultimately, like we can't live up to any of the service core values if we don't have a good, stable uh, mind. And, and getting that help is only going to help you then transition to that next phase, which if it may be um, you know, going on another deployment, going back to home station, point, performing your normal duties. Um, it's going to make you more resilient and help you moving forward in life. And it's it's like putting a it's like a, bro a roadblock. You know, I wasn't able to grow in all of the areas that I could have over a certain period of time because I was keeping all of the, these things bottled up inside and not processing these emotions. And and if I had had that opportunity sooner maybe different opportunities would have been available, um, you know, or maybe different types of growth. I don't know, but I do definitely encourage people that like everybody is like, it's normal. You're in the surface. This is, it's, um, it's important to identify that, Hey, I just went through this and I need to talk about it. Even if you think that you're perfectly fine and good to go, there needs to be steps in place that you talk about it. You do an actual debriefing and you go through a period um, and also leadership needs to validate this and people need to be like, they need to not be fearful for any types of retribution for seeking help. 
you know, like I was afraid to say anything because I was like, oh, well, somebody else is going to have to pick up the slack for me. Well, leadership, you know, and supervisors need to say that doesn't matter. We got that covered. We're going to take care of it, you know, and, and you and encourage make people go and just talk about it. And then if you're now in you're in that civilian status, there are so many opportunities uh, there are resources available to get counseling for free that's confidential group work you name it there are so many avenues to take to not like put your life on hold anymore and take you know accept that there's help out there and find your reason why and keep moving you're you're saying this beautifully, Ariana. I, I would add to that. It's not just that there's a, there's the availability of help. There's the idea of just quality of life. What is your quality of life? Any of us, if you're not um, able to intimately speak with your spouse or your children or your family, or you you feel right. numb or you're not you have uh, difficulty sleeping, why not just take advantage of educational opportunities or therapies, whatever you want to call them, so that you can improve the quality of your life, not just for yourself but for your family, for the people around you. Uh, yeah. I mean, this would be so important. But one of the things that, uh, that was always uh, interesting to me, when we go through basic training, we go through all the training before we actually are fully trained in whatever we're going to be doing in the military, we always do it as a team. Rely on the people next yeah. to you. Do, do this. Yeah. Now, here's, here's the training. You have buddies and you have all of these things that you're supposed to be supportive of. Always be aware. We, we talk about have your six. We have, uh, you know, taking care of the, the person. Don't be responsible for them getting hurt. Why is that when we come back from the military, all of a sudden that whole concept of doing this with your friends is not there? It, now, all of a sudden, you're isolated and you're doing everything. We're doing everything on our own. And I think that the concept of doing this with people who have been through a common experience, who understand the reactions you're having, are going to be just as valuable after the military as they were during the military. Does, does that make any sense at all? It makes perfect sense. And I know people, you know, when they go into that civilian life, it's hard to find the same camaraderie and connection that you have to the brothers and sisters you served with. But there are there are avenues to get that. There are ways to get that same camaraderie and feeling and support. And you're right. It is so important. And it's just so great to be around those like-minded people to provide validation and support. It's so helpful. And also regarding the family, we always, for example, at the, at the beginning of our conversation today, Ariel, we talked about your parents being there, uh, the conversations you had with them. It was a family thing for you, an experience with your family. Now, all of a sudden, we come home from the military, and it's no longer a family thing. And yet, they're affected by it. They see right. that we're struggling. They see that we're having some sort of issue. And yet, we typically, as the soldier or the veteran, think it's all about us because we were the ones who were, de- who were deployed. And I think one of the things that's important for us to do is take responsibility for the happiness of our family as well and at least let them know that, okay, yes, I'm struggling. There's nothing you can do. You don't have the answer for me, but I'm going to go and get help myself so that you don't have to worry about that. And I'm going to provide you as the family with any resources that are valuable for you to use to go out and understand what I might be going through. Uh, right, and, right, and that's something we're not trained on. We always we go off to war as part of a family. We come home by ourselves quite often, and if we reinstate ourselves as part of the family, for example, with you, with your husband and, and your and your child, uh, we want their happiness too. Then there should be that goal or that hope that we're going to get help, not just for ourselves, but for the health care of our family. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Communication is key. Yeah. And that can be hard when you come back and you don't feel like communicating. Or don't um, know but how are... to communicate. Right. Very fair. Yeah. So, so now your goal, tell us about your goal to be a therapist and where is that the result of your own experience in the military uh, that you want to help veterans in the future? Well, you know, I, I, <laughs> I was an investigator for a long time and don't get me wrong. I loved the rush of getting answers and, and getting the truth about what happened and putting a bad guy behind bars. I loved that feeling, but at the same time, no matter who was sitting across from me, I always wanted more, you know, I know that people make mistakes or they're in bad situations and people need help after that. Like it's a lot to come forward and, and admit when you're wrong or you've made a mistake. And I always found myself saying, here are your resources here. You can go for help, but never seeing anything come to fruition. Cause that wasn't part of my job. And then just, you know, one day I was like, wow, I want that. I want to be able to to get, I want to help them get better. I want to help heal. And so I don't want to leave the military environment. I, I want to dedicate myself to this. You know, I, part of my identity, a, a big part of my identity is my military experience. And I want to make sure that I can still use that to help people and help our veterans and, you know, active duty alike. I, I, so I decided to, become a mental health counselor and I graduate in December <laughs> of 2021. Uh, yes, only a few months. <laughs> only a few months. That's coming up. Yeah. So, so now um, we're coming to the end of our, our time here for, for this uh, episode. Uh, but I want to ask you to share a little bit of what you feel as a result of the withdrawal from Afghanistan today and all the things that are in the news. Do you have an opinion on that that you'd like to share with us? Well, I, I certainly have an opinion and, and, you know, all of it's very fresh and it wouldn't be fair to say that, you know, my thoughts today are going to be the same as they are tomorrow, you know, and they've changed, they're going to change as new information comes out or events unfold. You know, I, I have this side of be mindful practice everything that you preach, that you know all of this education, but I still have this, I'm a human and I experienced this on the other side. And, and, and like that raw emotion of when I saw that Bagram was overtaken and they had released the detainees, anybody listening, you can only imagine what that felt like for me and for the other soldiers or airmen who have worked in that type of position or, have lost lives, um, lost family members, and to just see everything be overrun. And I don't feel like my experience was for nothing. I don't feel like that. There's no way that I'm going to give into that um, thought process because that would mean that my brothers and sisters you know, lost their lives in vain, and that's not true. There were 20 years of, of good things that happened. People were given opportunities you know, we encouraged and and showed people, you know, what it's like to have freedoms and education, and we were there. So I th- there are good things that came out of it. My my, it's disheartening to see the people that are in need of help, and I and I pray for, I pray, but the way that it came to an end is not what anybody would want to see. And I know that there are Vietnam veterans that are having a hard time and comparing it to what they experienced, and. I don't have the answers. Um, I'm not going to pretend to. I don't know the the why the decision to pull out was the way that it was, but I, I don't think I think it was done too quickly. 
you know, but I'm no expert. I think, it, but just to see this way that it's unfolding is really, it's really sad. And then I know that, you know, having the idea of having refugees literally in our backyard, we're in, we're in Wisconsin, you know, Fort McCoy. I was just there yesterday knowing that there are going to be refugees housed there. And I can't help but think that one out of 100 people is probably a bad guy. I can't help but think that. I don't want to think that way, but all of my military training and being vigilant and aware of my surroundings, all of those things go against that. So while I want to remain optimistic, I also have fear. We're coming up on the 20th anniversary of September 11th. It all just seems played out like setting something up to happen is, you know, I just, I can't help but think what if and what are we doing to prevent something? And, and I, again, I pray and I hope that the people that are in charge of this vetting process and that they're being very vigilant, but come on, the Taliban, they're not dumb. You know, they, I, I think you're very wise, but I, I think there's something that I would like to add to what you're saying, but I think you're, you're saying it in a different way, but sharing that is when you've actually been there and you've, you've met these people, you've met these cultures, you've met these types of personalities, you know that they're clever enough to, to infiltrate uh, the, yes. the refugees that are coming home. You're aware of this. This is, this is re- real to you because you've experienced yes. it. You've been with these people. For a lot yes. of people at home, this, they're doing this in their imagination. For you and I, it's not in our imagination. We've been there. So everybody wants to think, well, we turn them refugees, so they're all refugees. But we know another dynamic that's out there that keeps us, as we would say, hypervigilant, alert, and are seeing this from a different angle. That creates a whole different culture in us that responds with a, a different level of well, there's certainly the anxiety in there, but the hypervigilance and the caution and all of these other reactions. Paranoia, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so I, I, I would have to agree with you, but I think it's very observant. But I, I think it's also very observant for you to say that this is what we're seeing today. It's too early. This is going to change your emotion. Your reactions will change over time. So um, we'll, we'll know more tomorrow. And then after, and tomorrow we'll know more the, the day after that. But I, I certainly want to thank you for coming on, Ariana and sharing this with us, uh, sharing your, your perspectives, and certainly thanking you for your experience of everything that you've done. And, and I agree with you. We have to go back and be grateful for what we've done because we don't know what all good has been done in any of these wars by the things that we have left behind. So there's always that that we have to look for as well. I know uh, when, when uh, I, I have talked to people, I say, well, they, they were there and they were rebuilding the infrastructure, the, the sewage system or the electrical systems, which are still there. So th- there's just so many different angles to this and so many different responsibilities and experiences. So thank you so much for, for being there. Thank, thank you for coming back. But thank you more so for going back to educate yourself to be someone who continues to help our veterans and our military families. Michael, the honor is mine. I, I, I'm just so grateful to have a space to be able to share my story Um, and it's just one little piece of the puzzle but if any of this helps somebody else then I've achieved a goal well I think you've achieved that goal tell us one thing just on a a happy note tell us one thing about uh, the value of going disregarding the stigmas and going and get the answers you need it helps you just live live your life and getting help and 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 speaking to people gives you an opportunity to live this beautiful life that we have. And, you know, you served, you deserve, you deserve to get the help. 
and live your life to its fullest. And you have people out there that love and support you. And there are places to get that. And um, I would recommend, last thing I would recommend, recommend for anybody who's having a hard time finding maybe their why or having a hard time coping with what they've experienced. Um, Victor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning, is a wonderful resource um, to use to kind of get a different perspective that might help you in that growth. Well, Ariana Serencioni from La Crosse, Wisconsin, thank you so much for coming on our show today and, and sharing that. And I do believe there are people in the audience who need and will be grateful for, for hearing your message. So we want to thank our audience today for joining us. <clears throat> and of course, it's very important for us to realize that there are people available, human voices for any of us to, to call immediately. And that would be on the Veterans Crisis Line at 1-800-273-8255 and then press 1. You can also text to 838-255-CHAT uh, and you will find somebody to talk to immediately. But we are very happy to be sponsored by the Charles E. Kubley Foundation. And any of us who know who have been up against suicide know that there's a long period of punishing depression that can come before even the ideology to, to take our own lives. So the Charles E. Kubley Foundation.org is certainly a website to take advantage of. And our website, Orban Foundation for Veterans.org, will also have a page of resources available for you, not just for suicide, but any other, uh, that, any other resources that might be worthy of looking at just to improve your life and to get you uh, other types of healing. So thank you for joining us today. And for our co-host, Bob Bach, uh, this is Mike Orban, and we hope you will join us next time on Stigma-Free Vet Zone. And remember, this is educational, not stigmatizing. Thank you for listening to the Stigma-Free Vet Zone podcast. Your feedback is welcomed and encouraged. You'll find contact information on our webpage, OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org. While you're there, please consider making a contribution. Donations help us continue to bring greater hope, understanding, and resolution on issues of civilian readjustment for all military veterans and families. Anyone who donates to the podcast will receive a free copy of the book, Sold Out, Conquering the Experiences of War, by Michael Orban. On behalf of Michael Orban, Bob Bach, and Aaron Schraufnagel, thanks for joining us, and please tune in again.